Good morning, everyone. God is truly with us. He meets us as we worship and praise him. He also meets us in the preaching of his word. And so this morning we have the privilege of looking at his word. If you have a Bible, um, your Bible on an electronic device, please join me in James chapter 5. This morning we're continuing our series called Real Faith. This summer, I don't know if you saw the story, but on July 27th, an American, Matt Lettinen, uh, was flying his single-engine Cirrus plane over the Quebec wilderness. I, I don't know if you've ever flown in a single-engine engine plane before, but it really, like, it's amazing. You, you, you get to see the big picture, and you're in this small vessel, and, and you just feel like you're, you're uh, like a bird out there. It's, it's exhilarating, and I'm sure Matt, as a pilot, this was a normal experience for him as a seasoned pilot, flying over the Quebec wilderness, beautiful sunny day. I'm sure he's like in his happy place. But it changes really suddenly for him. His engine begins to blow oil. Uh, he loses altitude, and he crashes into the forest in the middle of the Quebec wilderness. Miraculously, he lives. Uh, one of the trees sliced right through his plane, opened the door for him so he could get out, barely missing his body. And he's there in the wilderness now, having crashed, wondering, what am I going to do? He Talk about high and low in the same day. Exhilaration to aloneness and desperation. Difficulty. It's sort of in a, in a, in a quick picture, uh, a view of what our life can be like in the, in, in its, over its longevity. We experience great and exhilarating things, but at the same time, we experience these difficult and hard places. Last week, we saw that there's going to be a day when Jesus returns and everything will be made right. So from that point on, it kicks into gear, this rightness in the world, and all the injustices are, are, are brought to to reconciliation, and Jesus makes everything right. We're going to live on a new heaven and new earth. But in the meantime, that's not the way that it is. We have this mixture of good and hard, of easy and difficult. And James, as he reminds us of that in his, in his letter, is showing us that there is something that we can and that we need to do in both of those kinds of circumstances. For Matt Lettinen, the best thing that he could do, the best, uh, to give himself the best possibility of survival would be to send, send a signal up. And this really is the point of what James is going to talk about to us in James chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 18 that we're looking at this morning. His point is that whether good or whether bad, all of it, we need to send it all up. Everything goes to God. Go to God in your suffering. Go to God in your well-being. Go to God in your sickness. Those three scenarios James is going to paint for us. And in everything, we are to go to God. Verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you suffering? That word suffering means to bear hardship. Uh, Paul used that word to describe his his existence when he was in prison with chains around his ankles. Uh, it means to bear hardship to the point of it almost being unbearable. And James says, is any of you in that kind of state, that kind of hard place? 
Let him pray, the ESV says here. But actually that should be a little stronger than that. You need to to hear that really strongly. It's an imperative. What James is saying, is any among you suffering, he should pray. Now James, as we've, uh, if you've been tracking with us in this series, James is like the book of Proverbs. There's all kinds of nuggets of wisdom. And so James doesn't know exactly what is going on in each person's life that he's writing to as he writes this letter. He's writing to the dispersion. They're probably believers who are in Jerusalem that have scattered because of persecution. So he's writing to to people. He doesn't know their exact circumstances, but as a nugget of wisdom and, and general truth, he knows that if somebody is suffering, as probably many of them are, there's something they should do about it. They should pray. Now, they say when you're preaching or teaching, uh, there should always be some kind of element of surprise in what you're speaking so that people really track with you. There's not much of a surprise here with what James is saying, is there? Like, if you're suffering, if if you're in a hard place, if you're a Christian, I mean, we should know this, right? What should you do? You should pray. That's the obvious. James is stating the obvious, but sometimes... We lose our way, don't we? Sometimes we just need to be reminded of what the right thing is to do. Is any among you suffering, James says, he should pray. I mean, I can think of, unfortunately, a number of stories in my own life uh, as a father and as a husband, um, raising a family and encountering circumstances where there's some difficulty and with the family together trying to wrestle your way through it. And then... You know, your, your little daughter says, hey, we should pray about this. Oh, why didn't I think of that? I mean, I'm only a pastor. Like, busted, right? Like, sometimes we, we forget. And one of the hindrances, I think, to us uh, defaulting to prayer is that the, the default of our culture is so much about independence and self-reliance. We put on a pedestal those that, that have, you know, through perseverance and done it their way and, and made it. But James is saying that's not the approach that we should have, is that we need to turn, we need to look to God. In a plane crash, the best thing that you can do is not try to go from where you crashed and then try to find your way out, work your way through a wilderness where you have no idea where where you're going. The best thing you can do is to stay where you are and send a signal up. Cry for help. That's the best thing you can do. And so it is when we are in a place of hardship or in a place of suffering. James says, this is what I want you to do. That person should pray. Don't try and figure it out. That person should pray. Now remember, James is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's telling us what God wants us to do. God is saying, I want you to talk to me when you're in difficult circumstances. I want you to cry out to me. Where you're in a hard place. He's saying, I want you to bother me. Do you get that? I know some of the language that goes through our heads sometimes. You know, well, I don't really want to trouble God with this situation. God's saying, bring it to me. Bother me. Well, I'm not really worth it. You know, other people, they're way more spiritual. I haven't been that spiritual. I shouldn't really bring this to God. God is saying, bring it to me. Bother me. Well, I'm in this place, you know, I'm, 
like I'm really in this hard place by my own doing. I made some stupid decisions. That's where I'm at. And I need to find my own way out of it. God is saying, bring it to me. Bother me. Bother me. Because it's not a bother. God loves it when we bring our circumstances to him and look to him for the way out. We see this so clearly if you follow the story of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They are God's chosen people. God's called them out unto himself. God wants to be, you know, their God. He wants to reveal himself to them. But so often they lose their way. And, and, and we read in the prophet Isaiah, for example, uh, in Isaiah chapter 31, God, is, God warns them not to look to other nations when, when they're in trouble. Don't look to Egypt, he says. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they, they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Do you see what God is saying? Like, don't try to figure out on your own strength or with the help of others as your primary way out of difficult circumstances. Look to me. Look what he says in the previous chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Yes, he makes things right. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. Now listen to this. Speaking of God, he will surely be gracious to you. When? And how? At the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers it. God so wants to be the answer to your situation. But he's not like this control freak father. He's not going to overpower you and, and barge his way into your life. The picture we get from God in the biblical story is though, although he has all authority and although he has all power and he can do anything and everything he wants, yet it says in Isaiah here, he waits. He waits. He waits for you. He waits for you in your suffering to pray. Is any among you suffering, James says, he should pray. He should call out to God because God wants that. James goes on. James goes on. He says, is anyone cheerful? Wow. So you've got some people that are a hard place and some people will be in a place where they're happy, they're cheerful. The story of the Bible is that God in the beginning created mankind and he placed them in a beautiful world and was to have a beautiful personal relationship with God. The fact that it got messed up by Adam and we continue to mess it up by making wrong decisions and getting out of alignment with what is right and with what God wants. The fact of that does not negate that we still experience good things in our life from the hand of God. Christian or not, we all receive good things. We all receive graces from God. And we find ourselves in these places where we are in a, we're in a happy place. We're cheerful. Things are going well. This is my moment. I can't believe I'm here in this place enjoying what I love to enjoy with the people that I love to be with. We find ourselves in a cheerful and happy place. But what do we do with that, James? James is asking us. 
Is anyone among you cheerful? What do you do with that? Well, it's so easy to give no thought at all to the source of this joy and cheer that we're experiencing, isn't it? It's so easy just to lap it up and enjoy it and never let our thoughts ascend to the source of what we've experienced. Our tendency can be to, to just take it and even think that we deserve it and then become angry when, when it ends because inevitably in this world, the good things are going to end and we're going to experience a mixture. The tendency can be to get you know, ruffled about that, thinking somehow that we're entitled to it. Is anyone among you cheerful, James says? There's something you need to do. In James chapter 1, verse 17, he talks about how every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow, there's no change, there's no variation. He is perfect goodness. His disposition towards you, towards each one of us, is good and loving. And all the good things that we receive, we need to understand, come ultimately from him. James says, is anyone among you cheerful? He should sing praise. Because what does praise do? Praise gives honor, gives glory, thanksgiving, gives worship to God, recognizing him as the source of all the good stuff that we are experiencing. And it reinforces that delicious meal that I had today or that beautiful sunset that I saw last night. Those rich relationships that I have with this group of people. That all of those things come from God in whom there is only goodness. And it keeps me from being deceived. The word cheerful refers to a state of our inner being, a state of the soul or spirit it can be independent of our circumstances because it comes from within. And James says when you're in that place where you're happy within, he says, sing praise. Sing praise to God. Have you ever, um, like how often do you hear about pop stars that are, you know, the current stars in our, our music industry and where they got their beginning? So many of them got their beginning in the church. That's where they learned to sing. And because singing has been part of the community of God like forever. It's what we do. We sing. Uh, and we can't help it because, because we recognize how many good things we've received from God. And so God has given us this ability to reflect back to him praise and honor and worship with our voices as we sing. Now some of us can do that better than others. But James not so much concerned about that is that it comes from the heart. We should sing to God. And it's amazing how science catches up with Scripture. And we're now beginning to see scientifically how singing impacts our brain and our emotions and how good it is for us. There's a website called How Stuff Works. And in it, it says that singing can have some of the same effects as exercise. Like the release of endorphins, which give the singer an overall lifted feeling and are associated with stress reduction. It's also an aerobic activity, meaning it gets more oxygen into the blood for better circulation, which tends to promote a good mood. Tends to promote a good mood. And singing necessitates deep breathing, another anxiety reducer. I think this is fascinating. So God is saying, is anyone cheerful? 
Well, yes, I want your thinking to be aligned that I am the source of all the goodness, but I want you to be even more cheerful. I want you to be in an even better mood as you sing and as you worship and all those endorphins are released in your body and all these good things are going on as you exalt God in song. Everything goes to God. Go to God in your suffering. Go to God in those times where you're in a place of well-being. James says everything goes to God. This is true also of our sickness. Verse 14. James says, is anyone among you sick? Now notice James is making a distinction between suffering and sickness. Suffering are hard circumstances, which James has told us, like right from the get-go of this letter, in the beginning of his letter, he said, you know, does any of you find themselves in, in a difficult circumstance, in a trial? We need to embrace that and understand that God uses those difficult circumstances to develop character in our lives, to develop endurance in our lives, and this is a really good thing. God can produce character and good things in our life through sickness as well. But James in particular tells us when it comes to sickness, there's something that we should be doing about it. We should be trying to get healed. We should be wanting to get better and to go to God with that request. Is anyone among you sick, he says, what should they do? Well, the answer is still go to God. The answer is still prayer. But notice the difference that James talks about as he emphasizes how we do get better in James chapter 5 here. James says that we should call for the elders of the church. In other words, your, your healing is not just to pray for it yourself, although I'm sure James is not eliminating that. Remember, this is like... Proverbs, like wisdom nuggets, you know, this is the essential thing that this is the one at least important thing that I think you should be doing. When you're sick, you need to go to the community of God and receive prayer. James is using a word here that means really sick. Uh, so much so that it says, let them call for the elders of the church. In other words, they probably can't go to, they have to call for people to come to them. And so they're probably really sick. Is James saying that people shouldn't pray for those who aren't really sick? No. He's just saying you can even bring the hard cases to God. And James is assuming that the Christian believer is in a community. That they are committed to a group of people in which there is recognized leadership. Shepherds is another translation of the word elder. They're recognized commissioned leaders whom are men who should be characterized by faith and are examples so that as you look at their lives, you could want to follow them as they follow Jesus Christ. Peter tells us as much in one of his letters. James says you should call. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now some of us may be more familiar with the idea of oil than others and like, what is, what is that all about? It's, it's uh, not referenced a lot in the New Testament. So what does that mean? Well, it, people land in two areas, and maybe it's both, but one of them is simply that oil can be a, a reference to the, the favor and the anointing of God, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Kings and prophets would, would anoint or be anointed. And so it's a symbol of that, of, of, God's, of God's doing, of God's anointing, of God's work. 
But it can also, as it was in first century times, refer to medicinal healing. So when Jesus gives the uh, parable of the good Samaritan, he talks about how the Samaritan binds up the wounds of the injured party that he's taking care of and pours over his wounds oil and wine. It had medicinal impact, and it was used a lot in the first century. So what is it? Is it a symbol? Is it medicinal? Well, why not take it as both? Why not see that it could have both? And though today we may not anoint people with oil for medicinal purposes, what I think it would be saying to us in our context, in our culture, is very important. Medicine and prayer are not opposed to one another. They work together. Ken Blue, in his book, Authority to Heal, talks about a really sad story of a family who were involved in a community uh, of, of uh, faith that had a very distorted and twisted view of what faith should be about. That to have true, real faith would mean that you should never, when you are sick, go to any outside medicinal help, medical help whatsoever. He tells the story of a young boy, 15 months old, named Dustin, who uh, was sick, but they never would take him to a doctor because that's just not what they did. That would, that would display unbelief. That would not be real, strong, true faith. And so the boy got sick. He got sicker. They brought him to the church for prayer. They prayed for him. He got sicker. And eventually he died. When they did the autopsy, they found he had a case of meningitis, which could, which could have been easily treated with good medical care. James Blue, uh, James, sorry, Ken Blue says, we value prayer, or sorry, my judgment is that the combination of loving prayer with medical and psychological expertise creates the optimum conditions for healing to occur. Medical science and Christian faith fight a common enemy with different means. The real tension is not between church and science, but between a secular worldview, which doesn't believe in healing, and a view of reality which allows of the activity of the living God. And so, we anoint with oil. We anoint with oil as a, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we do so encouraging people to get all the medical help that they can get. To see their doctor. To take medication. But at the same time, it's... We don't just pray for people for their healing when they've exhausted all their resources and, and nothing works. And so finally we come to God. No, we do it as a reflex. Because this is just what we do. When people are sick, we pray that they would get better with faith for their healing. James says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And look what he says. In the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Remember, James is writing, writing like Proverbs, general truths. So James is saying, you can expect that as the leaders of the church are called to pray for people, and they pray with expectant faith, that they're going to see people get healed. But you and I, we... We all know and we've experienced, and for some of us it's really close to home, we've experienced situations where we have prayed and we have prayed and, and we've had people pray and pray for, for someone who is very sick and they do not get better. What do we do with that? 
Like, is James lying to us? Is our faith defective? I think sometimes we have to hold things and we have to hold them loosely before God. But one thing that is interesting in James' language here is it's very ultimate language. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It's like salvation language. And the Lord will raise him up. That's resurrection language. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Forgiveness, cleansing, all these things can can be something that invade our life in the present, but are ultimately fully true at the return of Jesus Christ and the new age that he inaugurates in a day to come. And so in the meantime, we're brought back to the reality of the mixture of good and bad, of hard and difficult, of sweetly answered prayer and sometimes prayers that just don't seem to be answered the way that we want. We live in a time and season where death, although Jesus has conquered Satan, sin, and death, death itself has not yet been put under his feet and it is the normal experience in our living today. One day it will be gone, but it is not. And sin still lingers. And sin has impact. James says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Does that mean that all sickness is a result of sin? Well, of course not. Jesus said so as much in one of the Gospels. But sin can be a cause and effect of sin. Sin is a, you know, out of alignment with God. And, and when we get out of alignment with God, it, it doesn't go well. And, and just naturally, sin is a pollutant and, and sin is a poison. And again, science catches up to the Bible. Today, we understand the physical impact, the poison physically of things like jealousy and anger and unforgiveness and anxiety, all these things, how it impacts our body and results in sickness. James envisions a community where it's not just the the elders who are praying for the sick, but everybody is praying for one another and that they can come to one another um, and trusting one another, that they could be authentic with one another, that they could confess their sins before one another as representatives of God, each, each member of the Christian community, and they can be set free from those things that are poisoning their life. And then be prayed for for their physical healing. The vision here is for a community of expectant faith where God is actively at work transforming people right to the point where he's touching people in their physical being. And they are experiencing healing. And it happens and it happens and it happens. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think James anticipates there would be some hearing his letter would go, well, the super spiritual can, but ah, not me. I don't, I don't measure up. I'm not, nah, not me. He's saying, no, all of you can pray for one another and know that it's the prayer that has power. It has power. He gives to the people an example, Elijah the prophet. And we would think, well, what kind of example is that? Elijah is a special person. But he's not drawing on Elijah being special because Elijah was special. Elijah was special, he says here, because of what Elijah did. Something that every one of us can do. Every one of us can take things to God. 
Because that's what James is advising us. Everything goes to God and every one of us can do that. Every one of us can take our sufferings. Every one of us can take our well-being. Every one of us can take our sickness and the sickness of the people around us. And we can bring that to God. And we can do that with fervency and expectancy. Because it not, has nothing to do with our own goodness or righteousness in that sense. It has everything to do with the one in whom we're placing our trust. It's in the name of the Lord that people are touched and people are healed. We just need to be expectant. We just need to be fervent. And we need to pray. It's in that powerful thing called prayer that circumstances and God are brought together and the world is impacted. My world, your world, the world around us. As God listens to the prayer of people and comes, he's been waiting. And as we give him the opportunity and we call out to him, God comes and the circumstances are changed. You can do it. You can be one of those in the community of God that brings everything to God. This is the vision James has for the dispersion for every Christian everywhere, for the community of faith, for every church, that they would bring everything to God. It's the vision he has for your own personal life, that as you experience difficulties, your reflex is to go to God in prayer, that when you're happy, your reflex is to take that to God and worship and praise and adoration, and then you feel even better, and, 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 and you just feel so close to God, and you're walking in intimacy with him and experiencing him and in sickness, James' vision is that you would go to God and receive prayer from others and be one that will be willing to pray for others for their healing. And as you do that, that you see God move. You see God work. It's James' vision for the church to be like that. At Central Heights, we've said that our value is that we value prayer and its foundation to all ministry and spiritual growth. We believe prayer expresses our dependence on God, our willingness to hear his voice, and our need to know his will and life direction. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about, hey, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Herein, he says, my father is glorified. And he talks about, you will have joy. This is what God wants. Part of your uh, inheritance as a child of God is prayer and answered prayer, the fruitfulness of that, and the joy that that brings. As you see God at work answering, you're calling, you're requesting, you're asking to him, seeing God intersect in those situations. And life circumstances changed. Everything goes to God. That's the kind of community you want to be, and I hope that's the kind of individual you want to be. This morning, we're going to give ourselves the opportunity to take everything to God. Uh, we're going to sing a song of response, and uh, we're going to have some people up here to pray with you. We have a couple of little vials of oil. If you, uh, if you are here this morning and uh, you know, you've had a nagging shoulder injury, you've, you, you're sick, uh, you're fighting something, you've been ill for a while, whatever it is, uh, we want to give God the opportunity as we call out to him 
and by grace pray for one another to intersect your life and to experience his touch on your life. So we're going to have some people, uh, some are elders, some are pastors, some of our prayer teams, people that have faith and are expectant of God moving in our midst. And, and you can just come and receive prayer. If you'd like to be anointed with oil, just express that. And we'd be happy to do that uh, with you. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, we're going to sing a song of response. I invite the people that are praying to come up right away. And for you that would love to receive healing, just come up right away. And maybe you're here and you don't want to come up, but you're with a friend. And uh, maybe just you can turn to the friend beside you. Would you pray for me? Or can I pray for you if you know the person beside you has been uh, struggling with something? Let's saturate this prayer today as everything goes to God. Let me pray. God, thank you for your love for us your mercy and grace. Lord, I just, it's amazing how you want to be involved in our lives and how you invite us, Lord, to, to come to you um, with all the, the mixture of circumstances we experience. Lord, I pray right now as we, um, as we want to approach your throne of grace and find mercy to help in time of need, I pray you'd fill this place, Lord, with expectant faith. And uh, Lord, would you be pleased to move and touch people's lives and bring glory and honor to your name through testimony. In Christ's name, I pray.